You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champions. The Twins go to the seventh game. Catch them all, Kirby Puckett. Gone! A walk-off for Sano! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems. The inside stories and tales. I remember at the beginning of that season in 1997, I was sleeping in a car in a parking lot. I was broke, and I was thinking about quitting. I'm looking at it, reading it, and I'm like, this dude messed up my ball. Like, my first home run ball, he just totally messed it up. That's probably one of my favorite plays of my career, just considering in the stadium, um, you know, game's over, he scores. And it, was, it was a pretty cool moment. And you will find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, hello and welcome once again to the Twins Clubhouse podcast. As the uh, Twins Clubhouse doors have been thrown open here after what has obviously been uh, a heartbreaking week here in the Twin Cities, in Minneapolis, and across the country, hoping we can shine a little light on it today as we talk some baseball inside the Twins Clubhouse. It's brought to you today by Sheboygan. We at Sheboygan missed the ballpark too, and until we meet again there, Make sure to fire up some Sheboygan's quality bratwurst and sausages at home. They're always a home run. And we knew we needed a home run today. We knew we needed some levity today. So we reached out to one of our all-time favorites, and we were very pleased to welcome a pioneer of social distancing training in the baseball world and one of our all-time favorites, Mr. Matt Guerrero. Matty, how are you? Good. How's everybody doing there? Good to hear from you guys. It has been a difficult week, obviously, up here, as you well know, but uh, we're pleased to, to talk a little baseball and take our mind off of uh, some of the other things uh, before we get back to work in that regard here across the Twin Cities. But, uh, Matty, first and foremost, uh, you heard, let's see, Maurer and Hunter and Kadaya were on there. I know that, that your agent said you had to have equal billing with those guys. You were harder to get for us than those guys, but we appreciate you finally being available. I mean, you only talked to us, what, every day for like seven years in a row when you were a twin? Yeah, you know, I had the, you know, out here in the country, I had them put an extra cell tower out here so we could make this happen today. So uh, I'll send the send the bill for that. And uh, yeah, it's fun, you know, after, after waking up every day and having to, or being able to talk to somebody on the media and somebody on the radio and all you guys, it's a, it's a little different waking up and not having anybody talk to you. So usually I go outside, have my coffee and uh, talk to myself a little bit. Well, the beauty of bullpen guys is that you've always been a radio person's best friend because you guys are always around, always willing. And I have to say that when we look back at that era, 2006, uh, I started in 07 uh, until after 2010, you know, for all the star power on those teams, I just felt like that crew you guys had in the bullpen, uh, and then throw in the you know guys like Nicky Punto and Mike Redmond. That to me was always the the heartbeat of that clubhouse on a daily basis because I felt like that mixture of personalities that you were right in the middle of I just brought a little extra something that seemed to fuel uh, the entire operation. Am I way off base with that, or is, is that a biased assertion because of how good you guys were to us, or is that semi-accurate? Of course it's accurate. I mean, nothing would be <laughs> would be the same without us around. Uh, you know, it's it, we were so fortunate between, you know, Kadire and Morneau and Maurer and Jesse Crane and 
uh, Rincon and all these, all these guys that were Punto, uh, you know, Redmond, all these guys. Uh, when we all kind of came over, it was, you know, the Tory Hunter, Minkiewicz, um, Jock uh, yeah. group that loved to have a good time and, and enjoyed, you could tell they enjoyed being around each other. And we just kind of built off that. And when, you know, kind of pieces of the puzzle from that side kind of left and we added some from our group, uh, you know, we learned that, Hey, that was a big part of the success for that team. And I'll tell you what, we enjoyed being around each other and we enjoyed kind of uh, throwing unusual things at each other and seeing how, how we reacted. And it was always usually pretty good when uh, one of us would do something kind of off the wall, somebody else would feed off that and it would turn into a huge thing. And, and next thing you know, now it was a rally rally kind of moment and and we'd use it when when we you know take a little uh take a little you know four game skid or or even just a bad night that we knew we had to bounce back from it was it was uh we could we could pull something out that really wasn't that exciting and and make it a uh make it an enjoyable trip or an enjoyable bus ride or flight ride to uh to the next city yeah it was such a resilient group and it was uh, so much fun to be around. We're going to talk today over the course of the next half hour or so about kind of your path and uh, and some of the highlights and moments that maybe uh, we could look back on uh, that you were a part of, get your very unique uh, and valued perspective on. And, Maddie, you were a guy who I still love to hear it from Tom Hamilton, our good friend and the voice of the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> he still refers to you as what? You, you, you can still hear it in your head probably, right? For the pride of Shaker Heights, right? That, that's right. The pride of Shaker Heights. So <laughs> you, you went to high school in Shaker Heights, and I can recall you were a big Cleveland fan right when Jacobs Field, as it was known then, was being built with those powerhouse teams. And who would have thunk, right, that fast forward a couple of years and that you'd be playing on that diamond and playing alongside guys like Jim Tomey that you watched as a kid? Oh, I mean, you know, well, you know, at that time when I first met Tom Hamilton, it was – that was like a dream come true. You know, it was like, we go to, you know, Jacob's field, or I guess it was called something different at the time, but we go there and, and he wants to meet me. I, I thought it was the coolest thing. You know, I'd listened to him for so long and, um, um, what, a, what, a what an awesome thing. And then you start facing guys like Manny Ramirez and Vizquel and, and, um, um, Tommy and, and all these guys that I grew up just loving to watch play. And then, I remember being at Twins Fest when when we signed signed Jim and and Nick was I was with with Nicky and you know Nicky had played Punto had played with uh, Jim in Philly he was like can you believe we signed we signed Tommy like your boy we're about to play with Jim Tommy and he was just he was so fired up for me that I I mean I was just like no way you know just going crazy and it was just and thinking about. You know, I had a few months to think about, all right, what am I going to say to Jim Tomey when I meet him in spring training? And and, uh, that's another story. Yeah, probably one you can't share. I imagine you you had to fanboy it a little bit, didn't you? What's that? Did you fanboy it just a little bit with him? Yeah, you know, if you want, I can tell that story. In spring training, I I pitched in a game, and it was early in the day and and, – early in the game, and – and he played, he got it one or two at bats. And sure enough, I go work out. He works out. We get done. I'm in the shower, getting just changed. You're getting showered after my outing. And he's in there. And I'm just, you know, we're just having a normal conversation you have in the shower with two men. And um, um, he starts, I start asking him about Albert Bell. Cause I'm like, you know, as a kid, he was, I heard he was crazy. So it was like, 
what's Albert Bell like? Is he, he, you know, Jim was who Jim is and he's like, Oh, Albert's a great guy. He was a great teammate. Yeah. He had his moments, but I mean, what a, what an awesome dude. He's like, that must've been your guy growing up as a kid, huh? And I'm thinking, no, Jim Tomey was my guy growing up, you know, but I can't possibly tell that to another man while I'm in the shower with him. So I said, yeah, you know, I, I kind of like all, all you guys a little bit, I guess. And just kind of threw that line in there quick and got out of the shower as quick as I could. Yeah, it's difficult to profess your childhood love for somebody while you're covered in soap. That's uh, <laughs> exactly. that, that's just a that's just a fact of life. So the pride of Shaker Heights, you get drafted by the Royals out of high school late, decide to go to Kent State instead. They repay you by years later publishing your face in the big league alumni part of their program, but it's Seth Greisinger's face instead of yours with your name. Do you still have a copy of that program by any chance? You know, I don't. It was so funny because that year, just for some reason, um, everybody kind of thought we were the same person. Uh, he was, we kind of, <laughs> we were new, both new to the organization. And um, I think even on the Twins website, there were times when I was, you know, posted as Seth and he was posted as me or whatever. But, um, uh, you know, Shannon Stewart one time on the bus called me Matt Greisinger. And I, I, I just, he laughed. And yeah, I don't know if, talked to shannon lately but he had, he just had a great infectious laugh just he was like matt greisinger ha 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 you know i i mean i lost it i just started laughing because <laughs> i had played with him and he didn't know my name you know <laughs> so how funny was that now he knew me but you know it's just kind of this that's similar last name similar look and uh, i think that i carried that on for at least a year after he was gone you should have got a chunk of Seth's signing bonus. He had that first round money. That would have been that would <laughs> have been nice. Right. So, so your pro career starts with the White Sox, or pardon me, uh, yeah, with the White Sox, right? And then you go to the Pirates. Yes. And then the Twins eventually grab you off waivers in 2003. We're going to hear from Mike Radcliffe about why they did that in a moment. But you are one of the few guys that that can sit around now and and remember in recent history that your debut was in Montreal against the Expos, and especially the fact that. You know, you were pitching for an American League team. What a unique place to make your big league debut. Yeah, I mean, um, what's even, you know, it goes back even further. Um, my, um, I'm in Rochester. I get the call that I'm going to meet the team in Montreal. And I'm thinking, wow, this is it. This is my opportunity. I'm so excited. Let's figure this out. Well, come to uh, the Twins are playing in the Hall of Fame game against the Braves at Cooperstown. So, I, I take a ride to from Rochester, New York, to Cooperstown and meet the team there. We'll sit wow. and watch the game um, there, and then we fly to uh, uh, sorry Montreal that night. I mean, what a what a great you know first day in the big leagues. You're going to Cooperstown. Now that didn't that didn't foreshadow what was going to happen <laughs> in my career, but um, it, it's a, you know I've been to Cooperstown as a kid and always said I'd be back there, um, but. Uh, it was cool to first day meet the team there and then head on to Montreal and make my debut there where uh, I guess one of those places where you wouldn't say, if I can make my debut, let me make it in uh, Montreal at Olympic stadium. But looking back on it with it, not being a team anymore and not having um, many games there anymore. It's, you know, it's um, what a, what a, what a cool, cool thing to say that I made my debut there. And you walked the first guy you faced. 
and then there was an yep. error, and you end up giving up a run in the first. You were starting then, but the one that jumps out of the box score to me is your future teammate, Levon Hernandez. He, he he touched you up for a run-scoring hit. Yeah, he, you know, I I have to say that I, I wasn't expecting much, and I should have because, again, being an Indians fan, I'd seen Levon Hernandez um, back in those days, and uh, and and he was a freakish athlete with yeah. the with the Marlins, I guess it was when he was there, and and um, touched me up for a double down the line, and that wasn't um, that wasn't ideal because I, he he struck me out at my first at bat, so but. Um, yeah, I, I may have taken him for granted a little bit. Levo was one of the craziest athletes I was ever around. He could do anything. Like, he had phenomenal feet. He was quick. He, he didn't look the part all the time, but, boy, was he some kind of, a, of an athlete. So, uh, you, you face Levo in the in the or, or the Expos in your debut, uh, and then you kind of build up and build up, and you're part of a Twins team that is building towards a strong run of success that you are very much in the middle of. We're going to get to some of the highlights now, and I'm going to start with one that has more to do uh, kind of with a day that, that we didn't get a chance to celebrate this year uh, and also something that is pertinent to what's been going on uh, lately, and that is Jackie Robinson Day in 2008 was one of the first years where everybody was wearing number 42, and everyone was seeking out different people to talk about it and why it meant a lot to them. And we were fortunate enough to stumble into a conversation with you in which you explained exactly why this was such a seminal moment for this kid from Shaker Heights. And we're going to play the clip here. Last year I was hoping to do it. I came in a little late, and uh, my dad really means a lot to him. He's a civil rights lawyer, and um, it's kind of a big deal for everybody, I think. So it's, uh, it's going to be a good thing. Now, baseball is intertwined, Matty, with stories about fathers and sons and, and, and parents and their children and sharing the game and passing it forward. But that's not all your dad shared with you because Jackie was a, a hero of your father's with baseball not even being a part of it, right? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, leading up to those that, that year, I, I think maybe the year before is when it started, people wearing the number, and um, it was a very select group. Um of people that were, were, were wearing the number. And, you know, I had just talked to my dad leading up to that and, you know, he was born that same year and, and it was just the, the conversations that I had had with him in the past about how important, how, what that meant to his going forward of where he was going to take his, his occupation and what he wanted to do and who he wanted to stand for. I mean, he named a lot of people, but Jackie Robinson was one that I could relate to that I knew a little bit about just from history, baseball history. And, and, um, you know, he, he really showed me that, Hey, it's more important than some of the things that we go through that he stood for something. And he's, and my dad took that to heart and wanted to stand for anybody that was a minority, whether it be a, a age or gender race, uh, religion, anything. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about it a little bit and I, I explained to him that not many people were wearing it and especially not of guys like myself, uh, white guys that were wearing it. And some, some were getting um, bad press from it. And I, you know, I, I thought it was an important time for everybody. I thought everybody should wear it because I thought it would be a great thing for baseball. And it's awesome how they are able to do it now. And um, was very fortunate to be able to wear it and and really honor my dad and what it means to him and what he means to me and what Jackie Robinson means to baseball and what it means to 
life and 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 what a what a time now that thinking back on what a big step that was for for him and for uh you know the baseball community yeah and your dad's still living that life and still living up to that as uh, he continues with that great line of work well that was a special father-son moment that was 2008 Uh, i want to go back a little before that we mentioned drafted by chicago ended up in pittsburgh in a trade they let you go in 03 Uh, did you have a sense of your baseball career coming to a close did you feel you were still going to have opportunities before the twins grabbed you yeah, I, I had uh, in 2002 and 2003 with the Pirates, I had was dealing with some shoulder injuries, um, nothing serious, just kind of I was a little bit weak. I'd thrown a lot with the White Sox in 2001. So I was kind of dealing with some fatigue and learning how to take care of my body at that point. And the Pirates were a big part of getting me to where my shoulder was strong, my back was strong, my arm was strong. So when I got to the end of that 2003 season, I'd really kind of hit a point where I thought I was at my best. Um, I, I was pitching in the playoffs for that Nashville team uh, through a really good game at the end of that season, was really looking forward to an opportunity to play in Pittsburgh in September. And uh, I waited around that clubhouse for about an extra two hours and they never came by oh. and said, Hey, you're going to Pittsburgh. So I got on the bus, got on the plane and went home. But um, I don't know how much longer later, but I remember my wife and I going to Ohio that uh, Thanksgiving and getting a call from Terry Ryan. And uh, what a what an awesome phone conversation. I've had great conversations with him since then. Um, Just first time ever talking to him. He calls me and says, hey, just want you to know we've picked you up to um, off waivers. Just so you know, every National League team has passed on you, everybody but three American League teams have passed it passed on you you're basically down to your last chance we're gonna give you an opportunity to come in here and try and help us out win a championship and come in here ready to go because we want to see you see you get get to the big leagues and I mean I can't tell you how much excitement I had driving my car to Ohio in the middle of the winter um and I was just so ready to go to spring training. I mean, it was like super exciting. I was with a team now that was a winning organization. Um, the things that he said, even though he was basically um, saying either put up or shut up, um, I was. that's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. someone to say, hey, this is it. Here's your opportunity to take advantage of it. And um, I went into spring training thinking that I, I had an opportunity to win a job. And now whether I did or not, I, I went out there and – and laid it all on the line and, and got an opportunity to play in AAA with Rochester and getting a, get a uh, call up later that season. Yeah, Terry, with his honesty and his bluntness, I think really connects with a lot of people, a certain type of competitor who just wants to know where they stand and that they've got a shot. And uh, Terry lays it out there, and he will never try to deceive you or uh, blow smoke. It's going to be exactly what he thinks. Here's what uh, our good friend Mike Radcliffe had to say about the organizational decision to, to, to sign you, Matty. It was a waiver claim. They put him on waivers, and uh, our scout Mike Ruth was the last report on him at the minor league stop that he was at. I believe it was AAA that he had a report in on him. We went back and did all of our background. We had reports on him all the way back to Kent State, and we talked to all those people who saw him and knew him, and then Terry Ryan made the decision that, you know, let's take a shot on this guy. You know, this is a guy that had the requisites to be a reclamation project. He had makeup. He had the abilities that we thought maybe, you know, at the time when we acquired him, we were still developing and building a major league roster, a major league team. We weren't the 
competitive team that we are now. And, and Terry made the call off of Mike Roos report, and it's worked out well for us, obviously. Makeup, Matty. Uh, one of the highest compliments you can get from a guy like Mike Ratcliffe. And to me, your pitches obviously had to be good. You wouldn't have lasted 10 years in the big leagues. But I, I think makeup, as he put it, is is right. Uh, it goes back to what we were talking about before. Your your makeup, your character, how you went about working, your seriousness about winning and being a teammate, to me that's what made you such a good fit as they build that big league roster. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've done a lot of Zooms and phone calls over this this kind of unusual time. And, and as I have these conversations with people, you know, the most important thing for me was, was, and because of the twins organization and how, how it unfolded as teammates, man, we, we were good because uh, we were good teammates. We enjoyed being around each other. We picked each other up. We fought for the guy next to us. And I embraced that and, and felt like I always had that in me. Uh, I can go back to as old as, as far back as 12 and 13 and thinking about, man, all I wanted to do was, was be there and be as good as I can be for the guy next to me. And that made him better, uh, which made the guy next to them better. You know, that's, that, that goes a long way with, with anybody, whether it's a good team or a mediocre team or, or a team just, you know, just learning to, to win a little bit. Um, we decided we, we learned to win from those guys, like I said before, Tori and, and all those guys. And um, we quickly, you know, understood what it takes to win and and be there for each other on and off the field. Yeah, you got a taste in 04, as we mentioned. 05, you became kind of more of a fixture in that bullpen. You made the transition out of the rotation and, and into the pen. And, and again, you, you were able to, to pitch seemingly every day. And then 06. And 06 was special for a lot of different reasons. One of them was, and this is when you're pitching different innings right you're not a starter necessarily getting that first win that requires a lot of different elements to fall into place do you remember where you got your first w uh i do remember where so you know it's um gosh what a what a weird couple of years uh you know oh four i didn't pitch in many games oh five i pitch in probably like 40 to 50 games yeah. i can't remember but a lot of innings and and kind of picking up innings early if starters got beat up early or, or just blowouts late. So there wasn't much opportunity for me to get wins. So I didn't get one that whole year and went most of 06, I think with, without a win. And it got to the point where I, I was actually hoping, you know, Dustin and Dustin Morse and Mike uh, Herman were keeping me informed on what the record was for most appearances without their first win. And <laughs> at that point I was like, let me get that. At least I'll be in the record book for something. And, um, it was, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a weird game that I ended up getting my win. I, I, it was in Baltimore and, yep. um, I think Baker may have started and went yep. like four and a third. And I, I came in for like a inning and a third and kind of was got out of a jam and we, we took the lead and it was all right. Now we pick who gets the win and it, and it ended up being me. So, um, it was one of those that even though I got the win, it was like still unsure whether I'd was going to get the win, even though I was the pitcher of record at the time, you know, with that weird, if the pitcher doesn't go five innings, yep. they kind of decide who gets the win. And um, I think that's, I think that's, if I you remember right, rem that's how it worked out. Remarkable but, um, memory. I know yeah. it was in Baltimore. The old scorekeeper's Christmas where they get to uh, exert their power. It was, it was September 23rd 
of 06 in Baltimore. You'd gotten your first save, one of those three-inning saves, just about a week before. You'd go an inning and a third, gave up an unearned run on an error that you committed, actually. And then uh, this happened to give you the lead. Well, one pitch. Swung on and hit well to left field. Long run for Florentino to the warning track. Get out of here. Home run. Two run over by Torrey Hunter. And the Twins lead 6-4. to four. So you get the lead. You come out and you work a scoreless. And then this is the crew, Maddie, that, that you had to watch. Chewing on your fingernails to see if it was going to be your W. Perkins, Neshek, the big sweat, Danny Reyes, then Jesse Crane, and then Nathan saves it in an 8-5 victory. That's uh, that's quite a crew to follow you. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, I mean, that's what, you know, you say those names, and that's like, that's what it's about. Yep. I mean, that's what we were about. It was uh, next man up, and, you know, between me and, and Pat and Jesse, um, we were kind of getting settled in and kind of splitting roles. One of us would take one one day and kind of the next, and then, I think Jesse got hurt that the next year or that year. I can't remember. I think it was the the next year, but, um, and Perkins as well, you know, he kind of filled in and, and, uh, that's what made it such a good group. I mean, we were all kind of as a bullpen, we were there for the next guy and wanted to pick each other up and make sure we knew that if we were doing our job, it made the other guy look, look good just as much as it made us look good. So that was, uh, it was an enjoyable group. More on that group in just a second, but first, the end of 06, obviously you guys put together the amazing run, you win the division, uh, and you go to the playoffs, and it's a crazy whirlwind atmosphere, even more so for you and DG, and also for, for Nick, because you guys had to get married before the playoffs, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, DG and I were were engaged to be married in November, and um, got made our made our uh we clinched the playoff berth and, and the the rule on the flight was no, no girlfriends or fiancés allowed. You had to be married. And, um, you know, we, I, I even went into Gardy's office. And I said, listen, we're getting married in November. What, what, what are we going to do with this? Like if we win the world series, uh, fly home from, uh, California and she's going to have to stay there and then fly home the next day while we celebrate on the trip home. He's like, that's the, that's the policy. And so I said, okay. So Nick and I kind of talked, they were engaged as well. They said, let's go ahead and get this thing done. So we went to the courthouse, we got married and uh, had a had a double wedding at the courthouse. And it was uh, like what we've all dreamed about as kids, you know, getting married at the courthouse and uh, in a double wedding. And then, getting on a flight to Detroit. The ultimate double play right there in Twins history. <laughs> and I, I like I think, to imagine that every year on, on your anniversary, you guys call each other. Yeah, well, we, we might not call. We went on a trip a couple of years ago together for our 10-year anniversary, but we celebrate our November anniversary because we had all our family there, and that yeah. was our original date. Um, DG might bring it up every once in a while when I forget about that day in September. But um, – <laughs> Um, it's, a it's, it's a, it's a fun memory. I think that's the only time I was ever in sports illustrated. We were in a little, (laughs) little excerpt in sports illustrated. So that was pretty cool too. 2007, you assume a a major role, uh, in the bullpen. And, and then we start heading into 2008 where I think we all felt this team had a chance to be, to be even better in 2008. And so did the marketing crew because this one of my all time favorites, uh, emerged in spring training. 
Three, two, cow, we love the slider. I paint corners of the dish. Good control and he's got nasty. We five meters as you wish. When they're swinging, heat we're bringing. You need outs, we get two more. Sidearm slinging, we are singing. I come in and close the door. If they're swinging, yeah. heat we're bringing. So- you write your own material? <laughs> The best part about that, and I, I mean, I hope if you've talked to anybody else, they would say the same thing, but Boof Bonzer had the toughest time with his line and could not understand how the song went. And we <laughs> must have been out there in the heat in Florida <laughs> for two hours because Boof couldn't go. Um, uh, we throw pitches on the dish, yeah. and he would get it wrong every time. <laughs> he would say, you know, we we throw pitches on the dish and we're like, no, it's not how it goes. It's we throw pitches on the dish. That's it. You know, whatever. And, and he just, I mean, over and over and over and over again, we did it. And he, he just could not get it right. And it was, I mean, at that point we just uh, laughed and laughed. And then with, with Rincon, who was so oh, fun he, to oh. be around, it was just, you know, that, that whole group. I mean, that says it all that, you know, that it, I wish they could show outtakes from that because, um, we had just a was just a fun time do, filming that. It is to me still like every once in a while I'll just go down the YouTube rabbit hole to watch it again, just because it makes me laugh <laughs> so much watching you guys interact. And fittingly, of course, the way Joe sells it at the end. People talk about his fist pump in 163, but how about his you know raising the arm at the end of the Ode to Joy? It was perfect. Yeah, and I think that was uh, that was his 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 doing. I don't think they had that in the script, and I think he just threw that in there. So. You know he was always good, uh, good to for a one-liner and and a, and a, some, brought out some some good finishes. Obviously, did, did you feel good about your vocals? You like that? Just a one 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 and done. You're able to cut your your lines right away. Oh, without a doubt. Well, you know, I went home and practiced. I said <laughs> I'm going to need my lines before I go there. I'm not going to go there and 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 screw it all up for the rest of us. So, yeah, I I did it for DG. Now she she obviously thought it was terrible, but I I could hear I'm I've got the musical tone and I can hear those things, so I knew it was right. Right, you should have should have been on American <laughs> Idol back then. So that all time classic. You go into 08. All you did in 08 is tie for the league lead in appearances. Then you one up that you lead the league in appearances in 2009. Last of which included. This big out of Placido Polanco in an unforgettable game. And the 1-1 delivery, swinging a ground ball to short, fielded by Cabrera, flips to Puto, and the half inning is over. Matty Guerrero gets Polanco to field his choice on a 6-4 play. That, of course, was 163, top of the seventh inning. Typical Matt Guerrero spot, right? Runners on the corners with a couple of outs and a nail-biter. Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, as a relief pitcher, I guess I think of more of what happened in the next inning. But um, yeah, we, that's, were, we weren't going to play you know, that one. <laughs> I didn't want to. I don't want to spoil it for everybody. But before everybody starts to say, "Oh man, we remember how good Matt was," in the next second they're going to say, "Oh, we remember how bad Matt was." But no, you know I, that's what I loved I, more than anything. I loved coming into games with guys on base and and a pressure situation um, because. Listen, you go out there, you let it all hang out. Obviously, you try to do that every time. But in that scenario, you're like, this is do or die. I got to stop this guy from scoring. We've got to keep it here. We've got to keep the lead the same or the deficit the same. And um, what a great feeling to pick somebody up, another teammate, 
who's gotten to a rough spot because so many times people did that for me. And, um, uh, you know, as good as it feels when someone does it for you, it feels eight times better when you do it for somebody else, because they're the first person out there to greet you. And, and the, like I said, the good thing about our group, when you did have an oppor- opportunity like that and it didn't come through, they were still the first person out there. And that's, you know, that's why it made it a good group. They know we're out there fighting for them. And, um, nothing bigger than that game game 163 what a what what an awesome game and and to keep us there and give us opportunity to come back it's a very memorable time in my uh in my career well what you were alluding to is the fact that ordonia's got you for a a leadoff homer to tie it in the next half inning but you guys hung around you get that memorable win and to me when i think back on that era of twins baseball it's that picture that i'm hoping you have hanging somewhere in your house where and you know what I'm talking about running out of the dugout as as Carlos is rounding third base and people are flying into the air and you're right smack dab in the middle of it could I are jumping up into the air even Redmond's got some uh, elevation in that one uh, tell me you've got a copy of one of those pictures hanging somewhere well you know it's funny we um we finished that game uh, shoot I don't remember it seems like it was about four in the morning but it probably wasn't you know we finished that game late in the night and we celebrate a little bit. We head to New York. We get into New York at, gosh, it was 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. And as we're walking into the uh, into the hotel, the USA Today is right there. And on the on that USA Today is that picture yeah. of, of me and Redmond and um, Gomez scoring and, and Kadire. And, I mean, I must have grabbed the whole stack and just took them <laughs> back to my room, you know. And then so we have tons of those pictures sitting around and, Every time that comes on, I, I make sure my my uh, my son and my daughter, hey, be ready. I don't show them the home run. I wait till the end of yeah. the game and I say, here, look, watch for daddy, watch for daddy. There I am, right there. And I <laughs> pause never, it while I'm jumping in the air. Never jumped higher in your life. And it was a, a perfect, <laughs> right. perfect pic, uh, picture. So the next year after that, 2010, uh, you, you're moving into Target Field. You've already had your very uh, awkward shower encounter with childhood hero Jim Tomey. Uh, the season's rolling along. Um, Justin is playing at an MVP level. This is before the concussion. And one of the craziest games of what was a magical year occurred in Philadelphia. Uh, and you were right in the middle of this one. Uh, twins trailing 9-4 into the bottom of the eighth inning, then score five. Tomey and Mauer both go deep. I think Denard knocked in a run. And so now you're into the ninth inning, um, I believe, at bottom of the ninth, and you had the winning runners on base with a couple of salty Phillies to deal with. Let's take a listen. Swing and a miss, and Howard is down. 92-mile-an-hour fastball. It was up a bit in the zone. And Matty Guerrero strikes out Howard for out number two in the bottom of the ninth. And the set by Guerrero. Looks to the runner in second, and the pitch. Strike, three call. Breaking pitch, and Matt Guerrero works out of the jam in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Phillies leave two on. Meat of the order, tiny ballpark, and you uh, got the situation you said you liked the most, right, with the winning run at second. No big deal, a couple of strikeouts. Yeah, I don't necessarily like that one, but, yes, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's you know that's the best part about scouting reports. Um uh, you don't ideally want to be with the running winning run on second base, but again, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to go out there and not, not try and get the guy out because it's, you know, one of their best power hitters and uh, right in the middle of their lineup. So we had a good scouting report. I knew what we were going to try and do. And, 
man, when those things kind of work together and work out, it's like, wow, when you really execute what you want to do, it really, it really, uh, helps to, to know what, what the best opportunity is to get these guys out. And, um, I, I can make sure I can definitely give them credit for that because, um, you know, we, we had a whole good, we had a really good plan for, for Howard, that whole um, series. And that was, I think my first time playing in Philly. So that was, that was an exciting time as well. Well, and you know, the thing about it is that they went against the scouting report and didn't let you hit leading off the next half inning. They let Butera <laughs> hit for you and Drew smashes a home run. Um, your old uh, rookie league pal, John Roush coughs it up, but uh, the uh, twins come back and win it in the 11th inning uh, in Philadelphia. That 2010 season, and this actually goes back to 09, such a special run. One thing that, that stood out over the course of those two years, but in particular 2010, you play the White Sox, the team that originally drafted you, and you play them like 19 times. Every single game, you and Jesse Crane, I think, pitched against the White Sox. And I want to say your combined ERA that you gave up maybe like one run total, maybe two runs total. Like, I think the White Sox hit like sub 200 against both of you over the course of an entire season. Does that tie into the whole scouting idea and execution idea? Or did you just have a good matchup with some of those those hitters? Well, yeah, I think it does have a uh, something to do with the scouting report. I'm, um, you know, for for whatever reason, I had fairly good numbers against Canerco and um, some of their other big hitters. And I think it's because I, you know, Jesse and myself, we threw a lot of different things at you. You know, it wasn't always uh, the same pitch that we were getting you out with. Um, and I think we kind of looked at that too and said, "Listen, I've got him out a ton of times with the slider. I might want to try and." with two strikes, try and jam them and go inside on them. And, um, and I think, you know, that's where the, you know, the scouting report works against you sometimes as a hitter and same thing as a pitcher, you, you know, you, with some of these guys that are so good and you see a lot, you start to go into trends. If you can somehow break those trends every once in a while, it screws them up. And now when they're sitting there saying, all right, I know he's going to throw this with two strikes and runners on base. Um, you just mix it up and do something different. Uh, Red was a Redman was a great uh, catcher when it came to that, and I think that carried over to Maurer when when Red wasn't there. So um, that kind of kept us to where we knew at any given time we can throw any pitch, and we knew facing those guys 18, 19 times a season, we'd have to we'd have to be able to to do that in in big situations. With the scouting now and all the focus and changes in pitching style and swing planes, we see every reliever coming out throwing a billion miles an hour. We see the return of the high fastball. Everyone wants to throw a high fastball, and yet, for all the talk of velocity, it's a breaking ball league, and it's nasty raking stuff that people are swinging and missing at uh, all the time. Have you ever thought, have you discussed with a guy like Jesse Crane, who lived upstairs before it was cool uh, with the fastball, what it would be like in terms of modern bullpen usage with you guys today playing in this particular era of how arms are utilized in the bullpen? Well, you know, I don't know if I, I would have survived now, you know, everybody throws 90, 97 to 103. Um, you know, I wasn't that type of pitcher, but you know, I, I relied a lot on breaking pitches. So uh, I think, you know, as you, as I start to watch, you know, they have these numbers and say that, Hey, your, your curveball, like uh, you look at a guy like, Presley was with the twins, you know, in 14 and now an all-star with, with the Astros a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he was, 
his breaking ball is off the charts on the spin rate. And so they, now he used that a lot. Um, I think that probably would have been a scenario where I would be throwing my curveball a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Jesse, again, we, we used to change our game every year. We would just talk because we played catch together. We were worked out together. So every year I was with the twins, we were working on things and trying to get, get better, you know, and um, he would always say, I think I need to pitch upstairs, but everybody was telling him to pitch down, you know? And so I definitely think he would have thrived a lot with, with pitching upstairs and the way his curveball was came right out of that high slot. Um, and he was a hard thrower all the time. So um, it'd be fun. I mean, I, listen, I love competing and, and I, I still think at 41 and three quarters, I could go out there and still get guys out, but you know, um, that would change pretty quickly probably after the first outing. <laughs> well, I like the, you add the three quarters on there. I think that's nice. You're still, you're still <laughs> only because, using only because I got kids, really young kids. You know? <laughs> I would have been, I would have been very curious to see your spin rate numbers. I bet they were high. I, I, I think your spin rate numbers would be pretty high. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, when I was with the Dodgers uh, in 2011, they just started to come up with the, uh, I don't remember what they're called, but the, I think the track man or something that they'd put in stadiums. And one of the guys that was there says, man, your curveball is off, off the chart. I mean, one of the top spin rates we've seen ever. And uh, I knew it was I, I, it was hard. I mean, I threw it almost 80 miles an hour, and um, I knew it was uh, a big breaker. So I knew that it was probably spinning fast. I mean, it just makes sense, right? And so yep. when he, obviously you love hearing that, but um, I knew it was good. And um, that's where I'm on the other side of it, like, Typically, you can you can judge by how people take pitches and how they swing at certain pitches whether the ball's spinning pretty good or or whether it's not, right? Yeah, I think a lot of times the numbers you put to it kind of back up what you already are guessing is the truth, and it's right. a way to add add a metric to it. Well, that that ten season uh, before you departed for the Sun in L.A. Uh, did lead to the Twins clinching the division early. And it led to what I, I'm here to actually, this was all just a long con to get you to buy me a new shirt and a new pair of pants because you ruined mine in the clubhouse. And let's take a listen to that. Here's the pitch. Strike three call. And the game is over. And the Twins have clinched the Central Division Championship of 2010. Ben is running away from Acura. And Matty, that's the first time I've ever seen you waste any Budweiser. <laughs> that's right. I don't like to. I usually, when the guys pour it on me, I open my mouth, see if I can get some in there. Words of wisdom right there, right? Celebratory <laughs> wisdom from Matt Guerrero. You did waste a, a couple bottles, uh, uh, partly on me, and the car smelled for about a month, and I was glad of it. That was a special group of guys and a special accomplishment. It didn't go the way we wanted in the postseason. But, boy, that 2010 year was, was something. And it's easy to look back and say, what if, if, if John McDonald's knee hadn't gone where it went and Justin was playing as well as he ever played that season? But just the, the memories of that summer, the new ballpark full every night, Tomei doing Tomei things and uh, and everybody else, boy, that was that was a summer to remember for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, opening being having the app, you know, growing up in Cleveland and seeing the uh, what opening up Jacobs Field did for that community and that city, um, and then playing at the Dome for you know seven seven years and then getting an opportunity to open a stadium. I mean, what a dream come true um, and what an awesome stadium in a great city that we have uh, awesome, great, fond memories of that, uh, like you said, it didn't end up the way we wanted to. But, I mean, just just an awesome season with awesome guys 
And um, unfortunately, you know, that stuff with the way baseball is and, and, and professional sports are, it's like at some point that ends and, and you don't ever think about that ending, but um, you know, just very fortunate. It didn't end a year before, you know, at, 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 um, at the dome and we were able to open up that, that target field and have a great season. We got to see you in 11 in a Dodger uniform. And do you remember who you faced first at target field? Well, I remember facing Kadire and, and Maurer. I don't remember the order of those, the, the other, or who, who the other one was, but I know that I faced those two guys. Uh, yeah, right? and Joe, Joe hit one right back at you, I believe. Well, so yeah, that's, that's a, that's a funny story. Cause you know, watching Joe hit ball, you know, balls up the middle time after time, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we're trying to get him out. We want him to hit a ground ball. So uh, let me just make a good pitch down and away so he can push it the other way. Well, you know, sometimes when you throw a pitch and you comes out of your hand and you, maybe you don't know, but when you throw a pitch and it's coming out of your <laughs> hand and you right as soon as it leaves your finger, you go, oh, no. And uh, it wasn't, oh, no, because I thought he was going to hit it out. It was, oh, no, because I thought this is going to hit hit me in the face. <laughs> And it, he smoked it back at me. It hit my glove, knocked my glove off, uh, pick up the ball without a glove on and throw him out at first. So was fortunate. And, uh, like I said, almost knew it was coming. I probably talked myself into that pitch, uh, so that he could hit it back at me. I hope you winked at him as you walked off. <laughs> no, I probably patted my chest like, wow, my heart's beating a little faster than this. One thing you got to do in L.A. was play for another childhood hero. I know you went and watched Tomei as a kid in, in Cleveland, but Don Mattingly was always your guy, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, growing up, Don Mattingly, for, for whatever reason, you know, I was a huge Indians fan. Don't remember really liking the Yankees, but for some reason, Don Mattingly was my favorite player. So, you know, I remember I signed with the Dodgers and uh, laying in bed, and, and I get a phone call from Don Mattingly. And I'm, like, <laughs> sitting there, and I'm, like, talking to him, and, get off the phone and DG's like, who was that? And like, I pull open up my, you know, bedside drawer and I pull out this shirt from when I was 10 years old. And it's an old character or character of Don Mattingly shirt. And I'm like, this guy, this guy just called me. <laughs> and it was, man, what a great, you know, what a great experience to, to play for your childhood hero. And I mean, it was funny. We had an interaction uh, and I can't remember a, 2012 or 13 one of my last years there um where one of the trainers said hey donnie you know uh matt's favorite player growing up was you and he goes well i probably screwed that one up didn't i <laughs> and uh it, w what a great line i mean obviously we're we're both we're both adults and you know i'm playing for him and he's one of he's you know my coach and i'm his player and it's just a different interaction but it was awesome getting an opportunity to meet him and, and play for him did you ever tell him that you kept a 30-year-old T-shirt of him in the drawer next to your bed? I did not because he probably would have thought differently of me. <laughs> you, you go. But, you, but you, you know, it's to... funny. You know, we end up uh, getting Mark McGuire as our hitting coach the one year. And, I mean, it, what I've, I ran into a lot of good people there, too, that uh, I grew up watching as a kid and uh, emulated as much as I could, even though I wasn't nearly as good as any of those, any of those guys. And just to bring it full circle, I know that you struck out against Levo in your debut, but you did eventually knock in a run, not with a hit. Do you remember knocking in your lone uh, big league RBI? 
Of course I do. Yeah. I, I, um, I come in in of all places, Pittsburgh. And I, um, I think it's, I think it's the seventh inning and I'm facing, uh, McCutcheon and two outs. I think guys on base again, another situation I'm used to coming into and uh, I strike him out in a close game. I think we're up one, maybe two and strike him out. So I'm planning to go back out to pitch the, the eighth inning and we start to get guys on base and, and, Next thing you know, another guy gets on base, next guy gets on base. Well, now I, I'm on deck. So, well, I'm still scheduled to pitch. And at that point, we had we had gotten some runs in. So we were up four or five maybe. And so they said, listen, you've got to go up and bat, but you're probably not going to go back out. We're going to get a different guy in, save you for tomorrow. And um, got was getting ready to walk up to the plate, and Donnie's like, Matt, whatever you do, do not swing the bat. So I'm like, come on, like, what do you, you think I can't hit? Like, <laughs> so I walk up there and I, the first pitch I, I take, I step aggressively. Like I'm going to take a huge swing and take it for ball one. And, uh, the catcher looks at me like, I know you're not swinging. So don't, you can, you can go ahead and stop all that. <laughs> and, um, umpire laughed and sure enough, I, I worked the walk and got my bases loaded RBI walk. And the only time I was on base in the big leagues. Did you get the ball? No, but I got about 25 tickets, ticket steps. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gotten home plate or the first base or something. I I don't know. <laughs> your batting gloves. You got your batting gloves framed, maybe. Yeah, I wish I did. And I, you know, I think I, I think I just took those those uh, tickets, and um, that's about it. I love it. You can ha- put them with your Mattingly T-shirt in your uh, in your drawer. <laughs> Well, you, that's you right. had, well, that's that's framed now, obviously. <laughs> you had time with these iconic franchises, uh, L.A., then the Cubs. Uh, we ran into you once in Chicago right after you'd blown your arm out in the team hotel even. But fittingly, I think you came home to Minnesota to finish it up. And I can still remember being in, I want to say, Detroit when you re-signed in 14. You had your whole extended family there at the, at the restaurant. And it just seemed like the right place for you to be. And even more fitting, the last game you, you appeared in, was against Cleveland, and I, I think that there's some synergy there. We would have liked seeing a whole lot more games, but the fact that it ended in a Twins uniform against your hometown team somehow seems, in retrospect, uh, to be a nice little way to put a bow on what was a remarkable career. Yeah, I mean, um, listen, I, I was had the opportunity to come back and play for Guardian Andy again, and uh, two people that gave me every opportunity to succeed, and, and no matter whether I was – bad like I was in 08 that second half of that season they still kept giving me the ball and knew I wanted the ball and knew I wanted to be out there and in those situations and I mean they made my career happen so to go back and have an opportunity to try to be there for some of the younger guys and try and help them out and get through some things and also get through some stuff that I was going through with my arm um it was awesome to go back and and for my family to to go back my son was able to get on the field a little bit there and, and meet some of the people that uh, meant a lot to me and the city that meant a lot to me. So, um, yeah, like you said, unfortunately that, that darn Indians team got me for a couple runs and uh, couldn't quite get, barely get out of that inning, but um, they always seem to have my number, whether it's because I was maybe trying a little hard to get those the Indians out or what, but um, it was a kind of a unique, uh, situation to, to end end my career i obviously didn't hope that that would end there but 
um, it seemed like it was it was the right time. It was such a, a great run that you had. Not bad for the pride of Shaker Heights and a guy mm-hmm. who made every single clubhouse he ever walked into better the second that he stepped up to his locker, Matt Guerrero. Again, our conversation with Matt is brought to you by Sheboygan at Sheboygan. They missed the ballpark as well, and until we meet again at the ballpark, make sure to fire up some Sheboygan's quality bratwurst and sausages at home. They're always a home run. And, and speaking of at home, with this whole pandemic situation, Matty, you were ahead of the curve because you used to work out in the off season by yourself in the backyard throwing a bucket of balls into a net. Uh, to the point where your neighbors were looking over the fence, kind of wondering about the weirdo who moved in next door. You were you were way ahead of your time with that workout. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was one of those things where I knew that I needed to work out, and the only way I could figure out the way to to know what I was doing was right was to count them through a bucket. So I I was like, all right, I'll do this bucket, and then I'll do the next bucket, and then if I still feel good, I'll do another bucket. But uh, my dad and I built a net probably like 15, 20 feet high, put it at the end of the driveway and and basically just chucked it as hard as I could for for as long as I could and uh, would would uh, do that just about every day. And um, then hope by the time spring training came, I was ready. And then I'd go to spring training. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but in 2004, my first year with the Twins, I was thrown into a net that whole off season. I went to spring training early, didn't know a soul, went to the field and threw a bullpen into the, into the brick wall, uh, at the, at the complex. At the complex. Um, and, um, this was like a week before big league camp started and was so embarrassed that like, I didn't come back. I just, <laughs> I waited until two days later or three days later before they opened up the locker room before I threw again, but I had to get it in. So I went at a time when I never thought anybody would be there and threw a little bullpen up against the brick wall. I'm imagining you in the clubhouse and, and Andy and Guardy in the back saying, Hey, did you hear that we had a guy back here thrown against the wall? I mean, they, the security chased him out, but we're not sure what happened. He left a bucket of baseballs out there. Exactly. And I think I'd be the first one to say, like, what is this guy doing? Why didn't he just come and talk to us? Like, I'll, I'll talk to him. I'll help. I'll catch a bullpen for him. But, you know, it's um, I was so used to doing that stuff by myself. And I was just like, hey, I got to make sure I get my work in any way possible, even if I am a little bit embarrassed about it. I got to get it done. Right. You got to get it done. And that is one thing you always did, Maddie. You always got the work in uh, and you never once uh, turned down the ball. I think that was the one thing Rick Anderson would say time and time again, and Guardy as well, is give me uh, a bullpen full of Macarrears who will take the ball every single time. And I know your teammates appreciate it. We certainly did through uh, through all the years. And it has been absolutely fantastic to catch up with you uh, again here in the Twins Clubhouse. Before we let you go, I know you're doing some coaching now with uh, not only your son, but helping out at a local school down there too. Yeah, so I'm coaching the varsity uh, baseball team at a school here in Birmingham and um, and then doing my son's 8U team this summer. And uh, it's been it's been fun to get out on the field with with the high school kids and and um, and then a little change of pace with with my son Jack's Jack's team. Um, but anyway, to get on the field a little bit now, my um, the way the way I act may be a little bit different. I don't know if they accept that as coaches to do some of the things that we used to do to to get us ready for games. But I try to keep them loose and and realize that you know half of the half of the success in baseball is to be out there enjoying yourself and to be play loose. 
you know, play hard every day. And, and um, I think it's, it's carried over. They understand that when you get, get in the game, it's time for business, but uh, there's time to, to relax and take some stress off because it's a stressful game and, and a, uh, and a mental game for sure. You haven't had to punt your hat guardy style yet. Have you? <laughs> no, unfortunately I did get kicked out of my first game this you... past season. It was a short season, but I managed to get kicked out and um, <laughs> didn't necessarily get my money's worth, which is a little disappointing, but um, you know, I, apparently you can't ask where a pitch is and then ask them to just call balls and strikes, but he, he apparently didn't like it. And so he tossed me out. And um, unfortunately I don't think the administrators like that too much either, but um, they kind of understood that it was a, maybe a little exaggeration by the umpire. If I can All say right. that in a nice way, I, I probably won't get fined like I would if I was yeah, I don't in the major think, leagues claiming I, I that they threw the, me out for the wrong reason. I don't think the Birmingham Umpires Union is listening to the <laughs> Twins Clubhouse. Maybe they are. I don't know. I hope they are. Uh, if they are, yeah. they just heard a fantastic conversation. Try not to get kicked out any more games, okay? I will do that. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, not, I mean, not do that. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the great Matt Guerrero, our guest here on the Twins Clubhouse, and we're lucky to have him. And again, in a time where we could all use a laugh uh, up here and around the country, Maddie, you were uh, able to provide uh, more than that and then some uh, here today on the Twins Clubhouse. Best to the rest of your family, and I can't wait to see you up here again. Let your kids run around on the grass at Target Field a little bit. All right. I can't wait. Thank you That's- guys. I appreciate it. That's a great Matt career. This is the Twins Clubhouse. Appreciate you stopping by, whether you joined us all across our Treasure Island Baseball Network or wherever you get your Twins podcasts. And next week, join us one more time as we once again throw open the doors of the Twins Clubhouse right here on your home, the Twins Baseball. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network.